Today is the eighth sermon on the book of Acts, okay? So before I start, let me make a confession. If you feel like I'm a bit angsty today, it's because I am. There's this discontentment in my heart. Ever since we started the book of Acts, I mean, I knew like, you know, the book of Acts is going to affect us as a church in many different ways. But it's actually affected me more than I thought. And recently, especially the last couple of weeks, I've just become very angsty. You know, there's that discontentment in my heart. So if that discontentment show when I preach today, please understand. Okay? It's not that I am not happy with you guys, but I do see there's a big difference between what we experience today and what we see in the book of Acts. And that created a holy discontentment in my heart. And, and I think that's a good thing, okay? Because that means uh, God is working. God wants us to uh, pursue His heart even more. And if that showed up in my sermon, please forgive me. Uh, but I just want to be honest with you. Okay, Acts chapter 11, verse 19 to verse 26. Let's read together in count of three. One, two, three. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyrus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyrus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of their church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when we had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christian. Father God, we thank you for your word. And I pray that you help us to understand your word. Holy Spirit works in such a way that when we hear this word, it will not be just Yossi's word, but we encounter you through the spoken word, Lord. And we ask this in the name of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. Okay, so I titled today's sermons, uh, Gospel Church, okay? So if you don't have this bracelet, okay, let me just tell you, today I'm going to talk a lot about this bracelet. So if you don't have this bracelet, uh, feel free to ask the usher after the service. Just out of curiosity, how many of you guys wear this bracelet right now? Can I see your hand? Let's see the true RSIers, okay? This is the true RSIers, okay? The rest of you are counterfeit. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, William Shakespeare write this beautiful question that we often quoted. Okay, this is the question. What is in a name? Okay, have you heard that quote before? Okay, do you guys know where that quote comes from? Okay, that quote comes from Romeo and Juliet. Okay, the most horrible and tragic love story I have ever read. And it's cast me for life. Okay, I blame my English teacher for that. Okay, if you don't grow up in Australia, God bless your heart. But if you grew up in here, then you know we got to read Shakespeare. And one of them that we ought to read is Romeo and Juliet. So basically, in this story, uh, what happened was Juliet asked the question, what is in a name? So because according to, the, according to Juliet, a name does not mean anything. A name is simply a name. It carries no weight. But let me tell you, she's wrong. Okay? How do I know? Because I know the weight of name. Okay? Because she has no idea what it means to carry the name of Yusuf. Because that's why she can say what is in a name, right? But let me tell you, a name is significant. One day, Alexander the Great, you guys know Alexander the Great? One day, Alexander the Great learned that there was a young soldier in his army that had the name Alexander as well. And not only that, but apparently this young soldier was named Alexander by, their, by his parents in hope that he would turn out to be like Alexander the Great, who conquered the world at the age of 23. But here's the problem. The young Alexander was a coward. So... But he's in, his, in, the, in the, the army of Alexander the Great. So one day, Alexander the Great called the young Alexander and said, Boy, is your name Alexander and your name is after me? And the young Alexander replied, Yes, sir. Uh, my name is Alexander and I was named after you. And Alexander the Great looked at the young man and said, Then either be brave or change your name because you cannot carry my name and be a coward. Okay? I just think it sounds cool, right? That's what happened. Okay, um, so name carries a lot of weight. And in this passage for today, we actually find why Christians are being called Christian. 
okay? The one that named Christian, Christian are not Christian, and we'll find out why, okay? And along that line, I titled this sermon Gospel Church because what I see what's happening in this passage is my dream church, okay? And that's why I confess my angst to you because I want the church of Antioch experience to be our experience, okay? I want it so bad, okay? This is my dream church. If you want to know what my dream church looks like, look at the church of Antioch. If we want to know what a successful church looks like, I think the worst thing that we can do is look at the successful church around us today and start to see, okay, that's the division of success. Because I believe there are many successful churches today that is not in line with the Bible. So if we want to know what a Bible success looks like, we got to go back to the Bible. we got to look back, what does the Bible say about gospel church, okay? And in this passage, especially this story, we'll find some characteristic of a gospel church. So if you have this bracelet, today I'm going to talk about this bracelet, okay? That's what I'm going to talk about. But before I go there, let's look at the mission statement of the book of Acts, okay? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is the mission statement. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus said, listen, the gospel will spread starting from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So in first seven chapter of Acts, we know that the gospel is still happening in Judea and, uh, and Jerusalem. But then in Acts chapter 8, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the worldwide gospel movement is beginning. Okay? So the, the, the gospel entered the city of Samaria. Okay? And then after that, um, two weeks ago, Adric came and preached to us that the gospel also began to spread to the Gentiles, specifically the, non, uh, the Gentiles who love God, who fear God. Who are they? They're actually the, non, the non-Jewish people who actually adopt the Jewish religious system. So there's a pattern here. Okay, watch the progression. So the progression started with this. It started with those people who are Jews, to the Samaritans, the half-Jews, and then to the Gentile who adopt to the Jewish system. What's the common denominator between all of them? They all believe in the scriptures. Okay, they all believe in Jewish scripture. But then in Acts chapter 11, there's a new breakthrough. For the first time, the gospel will actually begin to invade the Gentiles who has no liking whatsoever towards the Jewish religious system. Have no idea anything about the, the Jewish scripture. And then the gospel will begin to spread towards them. So in this passage, we'll see that God will show us that the gospel does not only belong to religious people, but also irreligious people. And that's what we see in the church of Antioch. That's why I love it, okay? I think we'll find many similarities between the church of, the city of Antioch with our city today. But then Acts 11 is the beginning of the worldwide gospel movement. And God used this movement to create a church of Antioch, which become one of the most influential churches in the New Testament. This is the church that will send missionaries all over the world and transform the world as we know it. Okay, I only have two points today, okay? Two points, but then four application. My two points are the hand of the Lord, and the second one, Barnabas and Saul. And I'm going to give you four applications from it on how we can be a gospel church. The first one, the hand of the Lord. Verse 19 to verse 21. Now those were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, travel as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jew. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, Hellenists being the Gentile who speak Greek, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, let me give you the context of Antioch, because it is very crucial okay, for us to understand what Antioch looks like in order for us to apply this properly. The city of Antioch is called the Queen of the East. Why? Because it is the third main city in the Roman Empire. Antioch is known as the business city. So people go to Antioch to make a lot of money. It's also known as very extremely cosmopolitan city. It consists of many people from many different nations. Okay? The main population consists of Greek, Roman, Syrians, Jew, Arabs, Egyptian, Indian, and Asians. 
okay, multicultural city. It's also known for its very extremely moral, morally corrupt city. Because just outside of the city, there's a park that is called the Grove of Apollo, where people would gather and actually committed orgy. Okay? So it's pretty much an, out there, an outdoor brothel. If you do not know what a brothel is, ladies, you can ask the guys. Okay? They will tell you what brothel is. So it is a very dark, influential, multicultural city. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the city of Sydney. Okay? Exactly similar situation. Now, let me tell you why this is important. Because there's a popular belief among many Christians that a church will not thrive in a city like Sydney. Okay? And it is our senior pastor's heart to have a church in the city of Sydney. Okay? Not in the outer part, but in the city of Sydney. And people say, no, hold on a second. Church will not thrive in the city like Sydney. Why? Okay, because of the reason that I just told you. Three reasons. First, the city is filled with diversity of culture. That means every culture has own, their own tradition and belief. Every culture has their own uh, entitled to their, their own version of truth. So it's hard for Christianity to tell them and say, this is the absolute truth. Second, the city is filled with sophisticated people, right? People who live in the city, they're very innovative, very logical, and they're not attracted to religious system. The third, the city is filled with social and personal brokenness. Can we agree? Like there is more social brokenness in the city than it is in the suburb. So they conclude faith die in the city. So when people go to major city and live there, what happens is they become secular. I mean, I'm pretty sure you heard this train of thought before, right? So Christianity will not survive in the city of Sydney, a city like Sydney. But here's the problem. Even though it's make logical sense, here's the problem. Historians will tell you the opposite. History and the book of Acts will tell us, in fact, in the city like city of Sydney is where Christianity thrived the most. Okay, so it's very different. See, we were taught that the more urban and wicked the city is, the less Christianity will flourish. But the truth is, history tells us, the more urban and wicked the city is, the more Christianity flourishes. Do you know why? Very simple. Very simple explanation. Because the gospel shines brightest in the darkest of places. Okay? Just think about it. Imagine you're in a very dark room. Here's what happened. If there's even a tiny little candlelight in that room, your eyes cannot, cannot get off that candlelight. I mean, you can try, but it won't work. You know why? Because everything that you can see in that room is affected that by that small candlelight. And that is the picture of the gospel. The darker the city, the brighter the gospel shine. So if Christianity dies in the city, then it is not a real Christianity. Okay? Because I heard this story a lot, man. This is a story this is very popular, how, you know, there's a young man or young girl who grew up in a suburb, in a very nice family, love God, very loving, you know, go to church every single week, involved in youth group. And what happened is this, and then when they grew up, they decided to move to the city, like Sydney, for education. And what happened? They got too smart for the Bible. And they basically said, you know what? How can you believe this outdated Bible? Okay, it's, 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 not, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's not sophisticated enough, and they walk away from Christian faith. Okay, so people are afraid now. Okay, hold on a second. That means I cannot send my son, my daughter to Syria like Sydney. Let me just live in the suburb somewhere in Queensland or something. Well, Queensland is not a suburb, but you know what I'm saying. Because it's, the city is seen as the place where the evil gathers, so we, want, we do not want to go to Syria. But that's wrong. Let me tell you why it's wrong. Because you cannot lose your faith by coming to the city. If Christianity died in the city, it just tells us one thing, that the faith itself was never real from the very beginning. What the city does is the city reveals and tests the genuineness of our faith. It does not make us worse. Okay? But yet, if we have genuine Christianity, then we have the confidence that Christianity can flourish in the darkest of city. Now, here's what I want to draw your attention to, okay? Who started the church of Antioch? Okay, that's not a tricky question. It's not the apostle. 
We've seen it in Acts chapter 8. The people who started the church of Antioch are the unnamed believers. We have no idea who they are. So what happened is persecution happened, broke out, and then the Christian began to spread out. And then the gospel invades the city of Samaria, but also the gospel invades Antioch. And the one that play the most important role are not the apostle. The apostle remained in Jerusalem. Do you know who make the difference? You guys. The everyday Christian who bring the gospel wherever they are. Now, I hope you start to see the pattern here. Because the book of Acts will show us the pattern again and again. The one that actually make the difference in the city are not the pastor. It's not the pastors. It's the everyday Christians. Okay? This is the way we say it, right? The widespread gospel movement happens not by the preaching of superstar pastor, but when every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit and gossip the gospel wherever they are. Can I, I make sure that you guys know what I mean by gossip the gospel, okay? How do you gossip? You gossip naturally, enthusiastically, and with conviction. Anyone ever thought before you gossip, oh, actually, I think I'm going to gossip with A and A, so and so. Have you ever do that? No. When you gossip, you know what happened? You gossip naturally. I mean, you don't even think about it, right? So you don't think beforehand, oh, you know what? I'm going to tell so-and-so about Yossi and his 10 girlfriend, you know? See, gossip is something that comes naturally from you. Okay, for the record, I do not have 10 girlfriends. But let's say if I do, it will come out naturally from you. I mean, you don't have to think about whether you want to tell other people or not. My pastor has 10 girlfriends, right? It comes naturally. Now put it in a positive sense, okay? That's what we do with the gospel. The gospel should saturate us in such a way that it flows naturally in our conversation. So it's not something that you gotta, you know, gotta plan. No, it's just your daily life. You gossip the gospel wherever you are. And look at what happened. Verse 21. I love it. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So as these people gossip the gospel wherever they are, it says the hand of the Lord is upon them. Think about it. At this time, there is no church in Antioch. There is no apostle, no church structure, no protocol, no mission program, no support system. All they have is one thing. All they have is believers, Christian who love Jesus. That's it. See, these Christians, these people, they cannot get their mind of the fact that how on earth can the God of the universe actually die for me? How can the God of the universe actually send His Son to die for my sins so that when we believe in Him, I will not perish. We will not perish, but we will have eternal life. How on earth that one time we were the enemy of God and then in one act of faith, we become a children, adopted children and the heir of the kingdom of God. See, they just cannot get their mind of it and because of that, it flows out of their daily conversation. It's simply one. It's not because they have a good program, a good pastor. It's because they love Jesus. And that's what I desire to see in our church. People who love Jesus enough to spread the gospel wherever they are. And the Bible says, and the hand of the Lord is with them. And God added many people to the church of Antioch. So the church of Antioch is the first multicultural, multinational church we see in the New Testament. Okay, that's the church of Antioch. But then let's look at the role of Barnabas and Saul. My second point, Barnabas and Saul. Verse 22 and 26. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when we had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christian. Now, here's what's so cool about it. So the, the, the apostle in Jerusalem, they heard about what happened in Antioch, right? And then they decided to send a man by the name of Barnabas, okay? Now, this is not the first time we encounter Barnabas in the book of Acts, okay? Barnabas first appeared in Acts chapter 4. And Barnabas' real name is actually Joseph. And then the apostle 
began to call him Barnabas. And Barnabas means this, son of encouragement. Now, it's the thing that we need to know about people in those days. People do not change people's name just because they feel like to. Like today, for example, you know, people call me by many different names because you guys just feel like my name is not good enough, right? But in those days, they don't do that. So if Joseph are called Barnabas, it's because there's something about Barnabas that characterizes who Joseph is. So that means it's Barnabas, Joseph was a great encourager. He's, that's why he's called a son of encouragement. And this is what's amazing about it, okay? So Barnabas was sent from Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. And Barnabas see the hands of grace in the church of Antioch. Now, for some, for some of us, we read that. I'm like, yeah, that's of course. Well, of course. Many people become Christian. Many people believe. That's amazing, right? But we don't understand the weight and the significance of what just happened. Think about it. Barnabas came from a church in Jerusalem filled with Jews and apostles. And now he entered a church in a wicked Gentile city filled with Gentiles. Okay, this is two very different churches. So when Barnabas came to the church in Antioch, he sees something that is very different that he's accustomed to. Okay, so people talk differently. They don't use the Christianist language. They don't say, God bless you. They don't say, Jesus love you. Or maybe they don't know. They, they don't, maybe they only know a little bit of the Bible. So they talk weird. They dress weird. They have different culture, different custom tradition. Yet when Barnabas comes to the church of Antioch, he says he sees the grace of God working in the church of Antioch. Tells us something about Barnabas. Barnabas has the eyes of grace. Where many see imperfection, Barnabas sees the traces of God's grace. He rejoices at the works of God amid the masses. And when Barnabas came to, came to the church in Antioch, he began to encourage the people in, in the church of Antioch. You know what happened? The ministry in Antioch flourished even more, it exploded. The gospel bears fruit in such a way it hasn't before. Barnabas is a man who is able to rejoice and see grace in the midst of masses. When I think of Barnabas, I think of many of you in RSI. I think we are blessed with many Barnabas in our midst. Let me give you one. I cannot mention all of you because there's too many. Let me just give you one. Edric. I think he's a Barnabas. Okay, if you do not know, um, every now and then, we actually have a, a you know, leaders evaluation meeting, right? And me, being a critical man, I always find something to criticize about whatever, whatever we do, right, in church. However, Edric is different. Edric is the man who's always able to see the good in everything that we do. He's able to say, you know what, this is the good thing that we do, the plus thing, or we should be encouraged by this, by that. And he's that kind of man. In fact, he also does that to my personal life. If you do not know, four out of five times I preach, I felt terrible after I preach. I felt like I did not preach or deliver the sermon the way I supposed to. And Eric will just come up to me and say, yo, bro, good sermon. Okay, let me tell you, Eric is not a sweet talker. Alice can tell you that, okay? Eric does not have a sweet mouth. Right, Alice? <laughs> okay, she, she, I got a nod from her, so that's true. Okay, so he's not a sugar baby. But... What he does is this, even though he might not see, you know, he might not, I might not be able to deliver the sermon as, as well as I supposed to, but he was able to see the grace in the sermon, how God is working through the sermon. That's the kind of man he is, okay? And I think that's the kind of man that actually propelled the church to grow. And that's the kind of man that we want to be. And because of Barnabas' encouragement, the church in Antioch grow even more. Okay, the Lord adds a great number of people in the church of Antioch. Now, if I am Barnabas, I'd be very happy. Because I'd be excited at the growth of the church. Because this is the chance, one in a lifetime chance, that I can be one of those superstar pastors. Right? I am the best thing ever happened to the church of Antioch. I am their go-to person. I am their leader. I am the smartest person in the room. I am the pastor. I am the reason the church grow, and I am the pastor of the first international church in its history, Rock Antioch International. And people love me. Why? Because I'm a great encourager. Okay, this is a chance for me to be a superstar pastor, right? But you know what Barnabas does? Barnabas realizes, uh-oh, 
there's something missing in the church. Barnabas is a man who knows his limitation. He understands what the church needs at the time is a teacher who can teach them to grow deep in the gospel. Barnabas is a great encourager, but he's not a teacher. So then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for a man by the name of Saul because he remembered that there was a great teacher that he met ages ago by the name of Saul, and he has specific call from God to be his witnesses to the Gentile. So Barnabas seek Saul. Barnabas is a man who knows his limitation and is not afraid to seek help. Now, I want you to start, change the camera angle now. Now think about Saul, okay? The last time we met Saul is last week in Acts chapter 9, correct? For us, it's only been seven days. But for Saul, between Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 11, approximately, there's about eight to ten years. So 10 years has passed ever since Paul encountered Jesus at Damascus Road. Think about it. 10 years. Can we agree that's a long time? I mean, if I was Saul, after I encountered the glory of God on my road, on my way to Damascus, you know, and got the calling of God, Saul, I'm, you're going to stand before kings and be my witnesses to the Gentile. I will expect the next minute I will be like the brightest boy ever. That's what I expect. But then we found nothing. Ten years of silence, and we have no clue whatsoever happening in these ten years. No record. But it's what I know, what happened. Those ten years are not wasted at all. Because it is in those ten years, actually God works on Saul and teaches Saul what he needs to know in order for what is about to come. Because if you know the story, if you know the story, pretty soon, Saul will become the main character of the book of Acts, okay? We will not go back to Peter. We will not go back to all other apostles. It will be Paul, 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 Paul. And this is the guy that writes most of the New Testament. This is the guy that writes most of beautiful Christian doctrines. Yet before that, 10 years of silence. It is often during the time of silence that understanding and love for the gospel grow. God often does his best work in the time of unknown. So here's what happened. Ten years, Saul and Jesus, nothing. And Saul faithfully loved Jesus until one day someone knocked on his door. Saul opened the door. Barnabas stand in front of him. And Barnabas said, Saul, I want you to join my ministry. Okay? Barnabas, my friend, is a man. One scholar said this, Barnabas is the man with the greatest heart, the biggest heart in the New Testament. Think about it. If you are Barnabas, okay, would you come and approach Saul? I mean, in the first place, okay, in Acts chapter 9, we found when Saul became a Christian and then he met all the disciples, you know what, what happened? Everybody's scared of Paul. I mean, don't blame Paul. You will be as well. I mean, if, for example, if we have a leader of ISIS suddenly become a Christian and came to RSI, let me ask you, the MC leaders, which one of you volunteer to take him to your MC? Like, probably, like, da, 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 right? Because we're afraid. But you know what Barnabas does? Barnabas welcomes souls with an open arm. And 10 years later, once again, Barnabas knocked at the door and invites Saul. Saul, I need your help. Come with me. And Saul say yes. And verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christian. So now in the church of Antioch, we have the dynamic duo. The great encourager and the great teacher. And together they work hand in hand, and the church in Antioch explodes. Here's what happened. Barnabas understand what the church need at the time, what the Gentile believers need at the time is someone who can teach them to grow in the gospel. So when Saul comes, Saul actually brought stability and foundation to their belief. And because of that, now the church is ready to explode. And because of that, because now they understand what the gospel is, they began to grow deep in the gospel. So now... Everything changes. 
Now the people began to live like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus, love like Jesus, to the point that people around them began to confuse, who are these people? They're Jews, but they're not Jews. They're Gentiles, but they're not Gentiles. But they talk so much about Jesus. You know what? Let's call them Christians. The one who call Christian Christians are not Christians. It's actually the outsiders who talk, call the Christian Christians. That's the beginning of the church in Antioch. You with me so far? Okay, let me give you four applications from that, okay? Four applications. How can we become a gospel church based on this passage? First one, every member evangelism. Or if I can put it in the phrase that we use is this. We want to reach white, white, is that white with the gospel. Let me explain. A lot of time, the reason why we don't reach white with the gospel is because we put unnecessary burden on our shoulder. Okay, let me explain. You think that you are important. You think that God needs you to go with Him, to work with Him, to save the world. Let me tell you, my friend, God does not need your help to save the world. We know this from the story of Saul. Remember two weeks ago? I mean, last week? God can save Saul on his own. He's sovereign. He can do that. He does not need you and me. So the first thing that you and I need to understand is, is we are not that important. We are not that important. And let me tell you why this is good news. Because if we think we are important, if we think that in order for us to, you know, convert people to Christianity, we got to have the right words, we got to have the right formula, we got to present it perfectly, that we're going to put so much weight on our shoulder and it's not going to work. We forgot one important thing. Salvation is of the Lord. It means it's the work of salvation from beginning to the end has nothing to do with you and me. It has everything to do with God who is sovereign. You can be the best salesman in the world, my friend, but you cannot convert a single person to Christianity unless God decided to open their blind eyes to see the glory of Christ. So that means this, you and I can breathe because when we share the gospel with other people, it's not about how well we present that gospel. It's about God who is working through us. It's about the sovereign God who can make anything happen through our words. So that means you and I can have the confidence to share the gospel even with the words of people and have the confidence that God can change that person on the spot as we share the gospel. And that's what I mean by every member evangelism. See, God never commanded us to go and save the people for Him. No. God called us to follow Him as He saved the people through us. He does not need us, but He chose to do it through us. And let me tell you why this is exciting. Because if this is true, you actually get the front seats of the hand of the Lord working in this world. Front seat. You actually get to witness with your own eye the unsavable get safe. And that's fun, my friend. That's exciting. That brought joy to our Christian life. And, and while, while you do that, while you share the gospel to this gangster that you never expected to, re to receive Jesus, and he suddenly weep and he accepted Jesus, you're like, how on earth does that happen? And then you begin to rest, hold on a second, that's not me. It is God's working through me. It's Jesus the one who empowers us to share the gospel. Jesus is the message of the gospel. Jesus is the glory of the gospel. Jesus is the one who does the saving to the gospel. Jesus is the one who's working from beginning to the end. All our role is the main. God is simply using us to share the gospel. And that is the common way. That is the only way, in fact, I believe the gospel movement happened. So that means this. We got to change our mentality. We got to escape. We got to go out from the Christian celebrity culture. This is what Christian celebrity culture is like. For example, let's say RSI is having their 10th anniversary, okay? It is our 10th anniversary, and we want people to come the crowd to come to church. You know what we do? We invite Justin Bieber to sing at our church. Well, is it wrong to invite Justin Bieber to sing at our church? Of course it's not. But it's not as effective. Second, we cannot afford him. But you know what is the effective way to bring the gospel movement out? 
is for every member of this church to gossip the gospel wherever they are. That's how we reach out with the gospel. But the second one that we need is this. How can we become a gospel church? We need truth and love. We've got to be like Barnabas. We need to become great at encouraging one another. Now, let me explain to you what the word encourage means, because it does not mean what you think it is. The word encourage comes from the Greek word parakaleo, which is another word that you sound similar, right? Paraclete, which is the word for Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what this word conveys. If you look at the English translation of the word parakaleo, you'll find many different translations. Why? That only tell us one thing. There's not one English word that can describe the word parakaleo. Because the word parakaleo means this, to come alongside with. The idea is this. It is incredible mixture of truth and love. Not truth or love, but truth and love. So if we want to be Barnabas, that means we've got to be people of truth and love. And let me tell you, this is very hard. To be people of truth means that we must be able to speak the truth and take the risk of offending others with what we say. To be people of love means that we must be able to affirm others and be patient and kind towards them. And now we've got to be both, not one or the other. And that's hard. Because my natural temperament, your natural temperament, is to lean over one over the other. Correct? Okay. For me, I am definitely the love type. Okay, no, that's a joke. I'm the true type. Okay, I lost count how many people I offended with my words. Okay, I'm the type of person, you know, I was a really bad counselor. If people come to me with their problem, you know what I do? I just hammered them with biblical truths. Okay, that's why people don't want to tell me their problem anymore. Okay, I was a really bad counselor. Okay, I, I proved a bit, I think, but that's how I am. I am, I am naturally leaned more towards the truth. How many of you are truth people like me? Say, truth people, some of you. How many of love people? Love people, okay. We can't choose, though. In order for us to be effective, we got to be both. And not only be both, we have to be surrounded by both. We have to be surrounded by people who are both love and truth. We have to be surrounded by people who are not people pleaser. If they're people pleaser, they're just going to affirm everything we do but also not so impassioned, so they just continue to hammer us with the truth. Think about it. How do you grow in a Christian life? You need both truth and love. You cannot grow with truth and love. You cannot grow without truth and love. Why do we need truth? Because all of us are sinners. All of us have blind spot in our life, and all of us need someone who's loved, who's actually have the courage to tell us, yo, bro, what you're doing is wrong. And we also need to be the people who have the courage to tell other friends, yo, my friend, what you're doing right now is not in line with the truth of the Bible. So we got to be the truth kind of people because unless we, gotta, we become a truth people, we become very comfortable in our sin. We become very comfortable in our blind spot and we're not going to grow. So we need truth. But why do we need love? Here's what I know. You can tell all the truth, even though it's true. But if you do not love the person, if you do not do it in a way that shows patience and kindness, that person will shut you off. Okay? How many of you ever received a long text message describing everything that you did wrong, telling you all the truth? Okay? And all true. You can agree. All of them is true. And they put a lot of smiley emoticons on the message. And yet you're shut off by it. Why? Because you do not feel the love out of that person. In order for us to change, we need both love and truth, not one over the other. And let me tell you, this works best in community. That's why if you haven't been planted in MC, I do want to encourage you, please consider joining MC. Because again, truth and love, you got to do it together as you live together. You cannot just do this occasionally. Because if I just tell you truth occasionally, you will not know how much I love you. Got to be balanced between truth and love. And this happens best in small community. Okay? And the third one. The third thing that we need in order to become a gospel church is interdependent. 
So Barnabas knows his limitation. He's not afraid to acknowledge that he needs the help of Saul of Tarsus. But here's something that you and I might not realize. The story begins with Barnabas in the spotlight. But starting from Acts chapter 13 onwards, you know who's in the spotlight? It's no longer Barnabas. It is Saul. But Barnabas has no problem. See, Barnabas has no insecurity thinking, you know what, I want the spotlight for myself. No, no. Barnabas understands what the church needs is Saul. What the church needs is someone like Saul who can teach them. So Barnabas has the, the guts and the audacity to open his arm to Saul and say, Saul, I need your help. And from that moment forward, it propels Saul's ministry to the point that we know him as the most beloved apostle today, Apostle Paul. Here's what I'm trying to say. Your pastor does not have it all. The only thing that I'm okay at, I'm not even saying I'm good, the only thing that I'm okay at is preaching the gospel. Okay? I suck at many different things. I have a lot of weaknesses. But here's what I want you to know. Yes, I have many weaknesses, but that's the reason we are one body of Christ. That's the reason you, I have all of you in here. Why? Because we are meant to work together. And when the great encourager and the ex- great expositor work together, the church of Antioch explodes. And that's the way God has designed us to be. God has designed all of you and me for us to work together in such a way that we cover each other's weaknesses. That it doesn't matter who takes the spotlights. It's not about the spotlights. It's about the movement of God. So if you think that, you know, just left all the hard work, the heavy duty to, you know, people like Yossi, Josh, Edric, you know, all the leaders, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Because if you call yourself a member of this church, at that moment, God has put you to become part of this body. And this body will not be able to function even if just one toe decided to not do its work. Okay, let me give you the easiest example. Uh, two months ago, I decided, because I've been gaining weight, I need to start running again. So I make the heavy investment. I bought me a, a new pair of running shoes, a wireless earbud, and, you know, those whole things that hold your phone together, and a brand new phone. Okay, look at my investment in order for me to run. And let me tell you, my friend, I did run. Okay, I did run. Two months ago, I ran. And I only lasted less than five minutes, and I was dead. That was my first run. And that night, I was fine. Cool, nothing happened. The next morning, I woke up very sore. Okay, just five minutes of running, and I was very sore the next morning. And let me tell you, that is the reason the second running is still yet to come. (laughs) But you understand this. When one part of the body hurt, every part of the body hurt. When one part of the body decided not to do its function, the whole body cannot function properly. So I'm making a plea here, okay? I do realize, okay, especially the last couple of weeks, right, uh, we started to have, which is great, we, just, we started to have people who are a lot older in Roxy International. Maybe some of you like 30, 40, 50s, you start coming to Roxy International, great. So we start having moms with babies as well, great. But at the same time, we also have people that are probably are not in their puberty yet, okay, in Roxy International. So the age gap is wide. And sometimes, because the age gap is wide, sometimes what happens is, we, a lot of them are saying, oh, you know what? Roxy International is about all the young people, right? It's about the 20s, the 30s. You know, I'm, I'm 30, I'm 40. I don't have role to play in this church. Or maybe you think about, you know what? I can't even speak properly yet. I'm still in puberty. But if God put you in this church... If you belong to this church called Rock Sydney, especially Rock Sydney International, where you know that you want to bring the gospel to all the cultures out there, all the people out there, let me tell you, you have a role to play. And unless you play your role, we are not able to function. So let me speak this to the people who are watching online as well. It's great that God put you with us through the online sermon. Awesome. But your role in our church is not simply to increase the YouTube viewers count. You have a role. You have a gift that God has given you for us to play the game together. 
God has designed that we are dependent on one another as one body is Christ. And for us to grow as a gospel church, it requires us to use our gift to build up the body. So my, my desire is I want our church to be a church of multicultural, multi-ethnic, where we reach out to the Indonesian, to the Chinese, to the Australian, to all the people out there because the city of Sydney needs the gospel. But in order to make it happen, it's not, you can't just, you know what, Yoshi, you just continue to preach, do it again and again. No, it requires every part of the body to work together and bring the gospel out. If one toe decided, you know what, I'm just going to rest today, the whole body, us, we cannot function. We cannot play part in the gospel movement the way we're supposed to. So I'm making appeal. It doesn't matter. You might be 40, you might be 50, you might be 10, you might be 15. But if God puts you in this church, in this movement, where you want to be part of this multicultural, multi-ethnic, gospel-centered church, play your role. I can't tell you what your role is. I can't tell you what your gift is. But I do know every single Christian has a gift. Every single Christian has a role to play because the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. So don't just leave it to the preachers to do all the hard work. You have a massive role to play. Without you, without you, we cannot go forward. But with you, we can take this church further than we could without you. And fourth, discipleship. Or to put it in the way that we do it is this. We got to grow deep in the gospel. And this is crucial. Growing deep in the gospel is part of the gospel movement. You cannot grow deep. You cannot go wide unless you have a strong foundation, unless you grow deep first. And this is, I think, one of the mistakes of many modern churches. Many modern churches, they try to water down gospel. They said, you know, you don't need deep teaching as long as you reach out to the people, as long as you're about love. I'm not against loving other people. I'm not loving against neighbor. But what I'm saying is, unless your life depict and show who Christ is, unless you know the gospel and affected by the gospel in such a way that the way you think began to change, the way you act began to change, the way you speak began to change, that, that Christ began to saturate everything about you, unless your life become a little Christ, then people will not be attracted to our message. So if you want to grow white with the gospel, we want to reach white with the gospel, we've got to grow deep in the gospel. Because only knowing the gospel, only embracing the gospel, only loving the gospel transform us to be like Christ. I do not know any other way, my friend. And that is why Barnabas understand, wow, the church is exploding right now, but I need to grow deep. And that's why he brings souls on board. Saul, teach them the gospel. They need to be taught the truth. And when truth and love meet, the church explodes. So we got to go strong. we got to grow deep in the gospel. The gospel movement requires us both to reach wide with the gospel and grow deep in the gospel. Without discipleship, the movement dies. The movement dies. Let me close with this. So then, how can we be a gospel church then? Which led us to our main hashtag. The only way for us to be a gospel church, we have to be hashtag gospel people. There's no other way, okay? Here's what I mean by gospel people. Gospel people, gospel people are those who continually look to the complete work of Jesus. How do we reach right with the gospel? Not because we have to. We reach right with the gospel because we know that Jesus has reached down to us. Jesus left the comfort of heaven. He came to this broken world to reach out to us. And because of that, we reach out to others. Why do we grow deep in the gospel? Because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is so infinitely beautiful. The more we look at it, the more we are transformed into Christ-likeness. Why then, why? Why do we need to be people of truth and love? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. The Holy Spirit reveals to us the truth and it convicts us of our sin. It convicts us of many blind spots of our life and continue to tell us, you got to fix this, you got to fix this. The Holy Spirit speaks the truth, yet at the same time, the Holy Spirit points you to Jesus. 
He says, you know what? Even though you're sinful, you are far more sinful than you think you are, and yet at the same time, the love of Christ is far greater than you can imagine. Jesus died for your sin already, and now you are found perfect, holy, and blameless. Truth and love. And the last thing, why do we have to use our gift? Because the Holy Spirit has given you a gift to glorify Jesus' name. And so when that's why, when we focus our eyes on the gospel, when we become a gospel people, then our church will become a gospel church. Here's my invitation, and I'm done. Stop being a spectator in the church. The gospel is too precious, too important, too beautiful for any of you to be a bench warmer. God is inviting you to play part in the gospel movement. And we need you to play your part. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we have a God who continues to pursue us, who never give up on us. Even when we fall again and again to be the kind of church that you desire us to be, not once you've given up on us, given up on us. And yet you continue to seek us. You continue to pursue us with your truth and help us to see the beauty of the gospel. So I pray, Lord, as we continue to grow deep in the gospel, remind us, Lord, change change us, God. Transform us to be more like you so that we become a church that is reaching wide, that we become an individual and a church that play part in the gospel movement. And that might require us to walk out of our comfort zone. That might require us to make a certain commitment. That may require us to do something that we do not prefer. But help us to see that the gospel is worth it. The gospel is worth it for us to walk out of our comfort zone, to enter spaces that we will not enter. But because the gospel is true, we willingly enter that space in order for us to bring glory to your name. And we ask this in the beloved name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.